What, you want me to teach you something? You want to learn something? You talking to me? Just talking? Well, what's the show about? It's about nothing. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Much Talk About Nothing, a show about movies, music, and more, where we continue on our endless journey in search of something to talk about. As always, I'm your host, Grant Ingram, and if you want to interact with the show, you can do that by sending us an email at muchtalkaboutnothing at gmail.com, by following us on Instagram at muchtalkaboutnothing, by following us on Twitter at MTAM Podcast. Twitter. <laughs> a little bit of a voice crack there, Twitter, and... You can join our Discord. The link to that is in the description. We would love to have you there. It's a lot of fun. We have a lot of interesting conversations, and occasionally we invite some of them on the show. So do that. You can also find other Much Talk Network shows wherever you're listening. Those are Much Talk About Community and Much Talk About Christianity. Today is a very special episode because I am, as always, joined by my co-hosts. You know him. You hate him. You love him. I don't really know what you do to him. I just hope you don't stab him. It is Grant Stonewall Skilling. How you doing, Grant? I hope Grant? people aren't doing anything to me. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't know about it. Oh, how you doing, Grant? I'm good. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm super excited to. I'm super excited. You guys are finally going to get to listen to this interview we're doing. Speaking of interview, dun, dun. Grant. Do you want to tell them the, the details since I've been talking? Yeah, so we are interviewing Mr. Larry Houston. Of X-Men the Animated Series fame. Yeah, if you want to learn more about animation or if you're a huge X-Men fan, uh, this is going to be a good interview for you to listen to. Yep, and here's that interview now introducing Mr. Larry Houston. So, Mr. Houston, how did you get into animation? Like, what's your, what's your life story or, and... Um, that kind of thing. Animation. Um, when I was, I guess it started way, way back when, when I started uh, discovering comic books and, and eventually, you know, drawing, just, just drawing from my own pleasure. Um, I met over the years in the, in the seventies, I met a lot of people who were um, also um, you know, fanboys and we would all draw our own, um, like I draw my own version of the Avengers or my own version of the Fantastic Four, just for my own pleasure. And out here, um, I had several friends who were working for Hanna-Barbera, Disney, stuff like that. And um, I, when I got out of high school, the first thing I wanted to do was be an artist. I wanted to, I wanted to do what they're doing. And... Um, you know, my mom's my mom at the time. She said, "You know, that's uh, that's nice, but you need to get a real job." And so, <laughs> she encouraged me to go to be a, a computer technician. So I did that for like seven years. I fixed computers for a living. But at the end of that seven years, I was seeing my friends work in the business, and I'm going, "I want to do that." I'm tired. You know, I was getting bored with the computers. So, um, I took a chance, and I tell most people, "Don't do what I did." But I didn't want a safety net, so I quit a job, and I went looking for a job. With no, that's 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 backwards. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> but I deliberately pushed myself off the cliff, to, you know, like jumping into the pool in the deep end. And film, there's a company called Filmation Studios that was hiring for people for doing layouts. So I took the test to try and be a layout artist at a studio. 
and failed it twice. I took the test twice and my anatomy wasn't strong enough to, to get that kind of job. But the super, the guy at the time, his name was a uh, Herb Hazeltine. Um, in my portfolio, I had all those, well, my version of the Fantastic Four Avengers and all that stuff was physically there. And he, he saw it, I showed it to him. He said, you know, like, you might be better at a story, to be a storyboard artist. And in the back of my mind, I'm going, what the hell is that? But <laughs> I didn't say it out loud. <laughs> he took me upstairs to the head of storyboard. And it was uh, the supervisor was named Don Christensen. And uh, he gave me, I got introduced to him by one supervisor to another. Uh, he gave me a test, gave me some model sheets and said, here, storyboard this. So I took it home and I brought it back the next day, which surprised him. And he, looked, he took a look at the work and he liked it. And what I didn't realize was that the work, the script he gave me was actually a live script everybody was working on. And he took some of my drawings, put it into the show, and then hired me that same day. Wow. And that's how I got into animation. And uh, that's how I got, that's how, I, and from that point forward, I never looked back. I just stayed in animation for the next 30 plus years. And uh, it wasn't until hindsight, re reflection, that I realized that, you know, if I had cold called storyboard supervisor to, to for an interview, I probably would have gotten nowhere. But because I had an introduction from the head of layout to the head of storyboard, that was a real good introduction to, to get a shot at it. And what got me the job was actually having the, the talent to, to prove that I could do the work. But it got me the shot that got me into the business. And so that's how I, that's how I got into animation. From that point forward, I went from filmation to Marvel Productions for about 10 years, you know, and uh, just imagine a fanboy working with Stan Lee every day. He's like two doors down from me. It was like That's crazy. <laughs> and there's another studio called uh, Ruby Spears. I go over there for freelance work. And there's Jack Kirby and, and Gil Kane, you know, picking up work, dropping up work. And you can talk to him like a regular person. It was like I was in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> fanboy heaven. Uh and then, you know, and then I got a call from, uh, through a mutual friend from Mattel. They wanted an artist to, um, to uh, He-Man's got these comic books that go, go on the back of the figures. Mm -hmm. They needed an artist for that. So I said yes, and I drew about 10 of the He-Man mini comic books for them. Wow. So I was, I was busy in the, in the 80s. It was like, I was, <laughs> I was like, kid in the candy store. What else you want me to draw? I'll draw this. I'll draw that. You know, I was Spider-Man, Amazing Friends, The Hulk, um, G.I. Joe, Transformers, Defenders of the Earth, um, all that stuff. It, it was like, I just couldn't have an, it was like great. The 80s were great for me as an artist. That is, a, that's an awesome story. So you, so you worked on Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends, you said as well? Yep. I started on that as a storyboard artist and uh, worked on all those episodes and then I think after Spider-Man, there was a TV version of the Hulk. Mm -hmm. And then I don't remember what's, what was next. It could be, could have been Robocop or um, this thing up behind me, Robo, Robot, Robotics, Bigfoot and the Muscle Machine, um, Inhumanoids. It was like anything that Hasbro was making a toy of, they made a cartoon of it. So I was working on all these shows. 
and it kept me busy in the 80s. Um, the thing that helped me quite a bit was that when I was working as a storyboard artist on G.I. Joe, was that one of the directors left and the supervising director came and talked to me. It's like, because I had told him I want to be a director. And he said, well, he's leaving. Do you want, do you want a shot? And I went, yes. So I got a chance to be a director on, that's when I started being a director. And from that point forward, I, I was a director from that point forward. Okay. That was actually, that was one of the, one of the questions we had. That's a, that's very, I guess it's all kind of happenstance, but then with hard happenstance and hard work is what it, what it kind of sounds like. It just. Yeah, I think, I think having, um, I don't like talking like, I don't like talking to, about myself like this, but having the skill sets and having the opportunity when they come together, that's when something can happen. So I had the, the ability to prove that I could do the work when the opportunity came up. And so I got a chance to do a lot of work on a lot of shows that um, I liked that I wanted to work on. Um, so, yeah, it's, I think people who want to get into our business have to recognize that um, especially when I was in the business is that it was very much a meritocracy where if you had the talent, you got the job. And even though I was the first black storyboard artist that film in, in Hollywood, um, a lot of us got in the door. A lot of women got in the door to do the same job in the early eighties. Okay. I, I guess that just, that goes to show that it was a, a true meritocracy. It was, if you could yeah. do it, you, yeah. Yeah. So it was, that was fun because I got a chance to work on, there's some other shows, some obscure shows. I don't know if you know about like, um, uh, Bionic Six. Um, there's another show called uh, uh, with these robots. Oh God, I can't remember what the name is. One is Bionic Six. Another one was Orbots. That's right. The Orbots was another one. And I, and, uh, another one's Teenage Mutant Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> I worked on um, 118 episodes. Wow. And uh, I worked on the, on the, um, the, 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 the miniseries. Back in the 80s, what would happen is that before G.I. Joe got on the air, the toy company wanted to test it. So we did a miniseries with G.I. Joe with the mass device, I think it was, was, the, was the thing, weapon. And so I worked on that. I did, I did the opening of the show. And I, did, I think I did act one of the show. Um, and I did the same thing with um, Ninja Turtles. I worked on that too. It was like fun. And once they got past the uh, miniseries, then they said, okay, let's do 65. You know, it's like, open the gates, run. <laughs> <laughs> and they hired a whole bunch of people and we we're all drawing like crazy. And uh, it was a good times back then. You know, if you, if you had any kind of skill and could hold a pencil, you got hired. It was like, open, you know, you, that was the time to get into the business was the uh, mid eighties all the way up to like the mid nineties. If you could draw anything, you got a job. Wow. That sounds like it was just a lot of fun. Like, especially with those, the shows that are iconic now, it just sounds, it just sounds fun, honestly. Well, yeah, it was. Then the nice thing about the turtles was that, you know, as long as you stay within, reason they gave you a script 
and they just say, and they just basically say, have fun, make it, make it, you know, have fun with, with the story. And so myself and others, my, well, I can speak for myself. Um, I took my part of the script and I just try and have as much fun as possible, you know, and uh, try and um, do things that um, has, I would always try and challenge myself instead of doing the, the traditional medium close up long shots. I try a variety of, of angles and stuff to try and keep it interesting and, and visual, like a visual candy. So, you know, you're watching it and you're being entertained. You're, you're telling the story and entertaining the audience at the same time. Um, in the mid, let's see, in the eighties, for me, my, my, um, the guy that really helped my storytelling was a Japanese artist, director, sorry, from overseas called Hayao Miyazaki. And he's the guy who did a lot of like um, Lupin the Third, Laputa, um, um, what's another one? Um, Kiki's Delivery Service, um, stuff like that. He did a whole bunch of movies. Anyway, we would um, go to little Tokyo and buy these laser discs, you know, like the size of a Domino's pizza. And we'd put it into the machine and we'd watch his movies, which was like groundbreaking. Because you got back in the 80s, you got to remember, you got to think about the way he told stories is like Scooby Doo, you know, left to right, medium shots, long, you know, it was like very boring. It was, it's, it's, um, it was nothing inventive. And watching his movies, they were trying to do so many things with 2D artwork to give you that illusion of 3D that. You know, for me and a lot of people like who were with me at the time at Filmation, we'd watch this stuff over and over and over again and try and analyze what we were watching. Now, the thing is, is that he's such a good storyteller. You knew everything but the subtext. You know, you knew you could watch the film and you knew what was going on, except for like, I'm your brother, I'm your sister, I'm your uncle, and I'm the bad guy, you know, all that kind of verbal stuff you need. But the broad strokes of the story, he was really excellent at telling. And so for me, I watched that stuff. In, you know, I tried to put it into my subconscious and other anime shows like Area 88 and stuff like that, Project AKO, stuff like that. And so when I got a chance to do the uh, G.I. Joe movies and the G.I. Joe series and and any, any uh, well, yeah, some of the Spider-Man's Amazing Friends, I tried to. And my friends also, we tried to incorporate some of that visual into the shows to make them interesting, like American anime, trying to trying to get it into the shows. Um, now, we weren't in charge. We were just storyboard artists. So we had directors we had to deal with. And our directors came from, you know, Tom and Jerry, <laughs> Popeye. And they were they used to left and right, up and down, you know, the stuff, the usual stuff. Yeah. So we had to try and... Uh, convince them that no though no, this will work <laughs> this will work you know that kind of stuff but yeah. and they were easy they were at sometimes easy to work with it was cool um but when i became a director on gi joe i had the power to approve stuff so i put a lot of anime once i was in charge i made it my show and put a lot of the that into the shows and make it more to make them more creative and more um exciting that kind of stuff. I guess that's one of the reasons it's stood the test of time because it, it's, uh, it's interesting, even like looking back on it, like 
I still watch, like I'll go and watch GI Joe and it, it's just, it, it doesn't feel like the rest of them around them. So thank you for (laughs) doing that. Yeah, it, it, it was fun. And, you know, um, yeah, a lot of the, a lot of my friends who I got into the business with went on to direct their own shows. Like, you know, Bruce Tim went on to do Batman. Uh, another friend went on to, to work with on Batman, uh, Boyd Kirkland, uh, Frank Parr, you know, everybody, we all started together as a group and then we all kind of like went off. Uh, Vicki Jensen was us. She went off to do live action stuff. Uh, oh, she went off to be the uh, director on uh, the first Shrek. That's right. And uh, uh, other artists, uh, Paul Smith went on to Marvel to draw X-Men, stuff like that. Um, yeah, so we, we it was a small, it was a small big group and we all kind of like blossomed up, uh, different places in the industry. Um, my, my, my two, we were like three of us, um, um, at Marvel Productions. It was, uh, Rick Holberg, Will Minio, and myself. We were the three fanboys who knew a lot, except, you know, who knew almost as much as Stan about all the stuff going on. So when we were working on a show, we throw in like the, uh, cameos or Easter eggs into the show and, we knew the mythology of Marvel uh, better than all the other people there. So we tried to make sure the books, the books, we tried to make sure the shows reflected that when we did what we did working on the shows. Um, trying to think. Um, whenever, oh, one thing I tried to do on Spider-Man and Amazing Friends is that I would, when we get a script, I would go through the scripts. And if there was a part with the X-Men, I, t- I, I want that part. <laughs> Give me that part. I'll storyboard that side. So whenever they had the X-Men, usually that's always me. I storyboarded all that. Wow. Yeah. I, I really had an affinity for that, for that concept. Uh, growing up as a kid, it was like the two groups I liked were X-Men and Legion of Superheroes when I was growing up. And it just being, you know, when you're young, you know, oh, I want to be one of the, oh, I want to be one of the Legionnaires with I got a power that can do that. You know, it was just fun to, to fantasize that kind of stuff when you're young. Right. And, uh, but I didn't get a chance to do the Legion, but I got a chance to do the X-Men. So. And I'd say you did a, a pretty darn good job of it. <laughs> just uh, having well, seen it. It's... Oh, thanks. Yeah. I, I, the three of us, Will, Rick, and myself, we were the co-directors and co-writers and co-everything on, the pilot called Pride of the X-Men. Mm-hmm. And so we tried to sell it back in the 60s. Uh, sorry, the, the 86, like in that era. And we got Toy to do the animation, real good animation. We thought we had a good story. Um, it had compromises because, you know, money people. But anyway, we tried to put it out there. It didn't sell. Okay, but the people that believed in it was Stan Lee, and my the other CEO was Margaret Lesh. Okay, fast forward about six years, she gets she becomes the CEO of Fox Kids. And so one of the first things she did was call Will, me, Rick, uh, Eric Lewall, and um, oh god, I'm losing a name here. But anyway, it's like five of us. She said, "We're doing the X Men because she could greenlight it." So we. That's how that got on the air. She greenlit X-Men. She greenlit Power Rangers, um, Batman, um, 
uh, Animaniacs or Tiny Toons, whatever it was called back then. But she, she, she uh, The Tick, I mean, she put a, she greenlit a lot of stuff out there. And um, she helped Fox Kids become, you know, all the kids went to Fox Kids to watch all their entertainment. And uh, she was, she was the reason why you guys have the X-Men at all. Because she, a lot of the other experts out there said that the X-Men was like, nobody knows what this is. Nobody's going to watch this. And she believed in it and got us on the air. And sure enough, people watched. Like, yeah. A lot of people. <laughs> yeah. And we, what we didn't find out, until she didn't tell us this until maybe about 10 years ago, that when she greenlit the show, her boss said he didn't think it was a good idea. But if you want to go for it and greenlight it, go ahead. But he told her that if the X-Men didn't work, that was going to be her job. She was going to get fired. Wow. And we didn't know that. We didn't know she had put our job on the line on that show. But she did. She believed in it that, that strongly. And, and the thing is, is that we were doing stuff nobody wanted to do. They said we were doing it all wrong. You know, you don't kill characters off in the first episode. You don't have, you have characters that are, that are arguing with each other. You have continued stories. Um, and you're, you're, you're writing what we what we wanted to do we want, didn't want to write down the kids we wanted to write up the kids and said no that's all wrong what are you guys doing okay believe in us come on let it, you know once we got the green light from, from margaret we didn't have to listen to them um although we did have a lot of political fights because even marvel marvel back east didn't really believe in the show and we had to prove to them that um this is going to be the first show that's going to be um, an accurate portrayal adaptation of the books and it's being done by professional fanboys. I mean, we had what, 12 years of uh, experience in the business and we love comic books. And so this is going to be the first time we were going to put this on the air. But, you know, Marvel East didn't, you know, they didn't believe it because nobody had done it before, but we had to prove ourselves. And we had to prove to we had toy companies that wanted to put in like Wolverine drapes and Cyclops, uh, you know, toys. And we're going, uh, no, <laughs> no, no, <laughs> this is not the kind of show. No, where this is not Scooby-Doo. This is not Super Friends. It's the X-Men. And uh, so, oh, this box came up. Uh-oh. Um, it, it did for me too. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so we, we wanted to prove it was a good show. And we only have 13 episodes, just so you know. We had no season two, three, none of that stuff was a guarantee. So we only had 13 episodes. So between myself and the writers, we would say, okay, what are we going to do? What's the story arc? And once they told me where they were going to go, I was able to, like, drop, um, what do you call it, like, uh, seeds, you know, little, little drops, breadcrumbs along the way to try and lead up to the conclusion. And, um, I, you know, I, this was my second bite at the apple and I didn't want to, I, I wanted this to be the best job I could because literally at the, when we finished the last episode, we all had our resumes out. We're all going to, we had to go find work. So we had no guarantee of a second season. And so I just put the, I put the kitchen sink of all my imaginations to the show. Um, and I tried to, put in like 
Easter egg cameos. The first one was Spider-Man. I tried to put it in, and they said no. I went, oh, but we're on the same network. They said no, and they never gave a reason. So I said, okay. And then it was an episode where they go to Slave Island or something, and the writers didn't know the X-Men. And so they they wrote Mutant 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, you know, doing stuff. So I physically went home, grabbed my collection of the X-Men, brought it to work, because no internet, guys. <laughs> Put it on the Xerox machine, made copies. Okay, make this the blob, make this Mystique, make this Sunfire, make this North Star, you know, that kind of stuff. And so we pulled from, I, they pulled from my collection to, to do an accurate uh, portrayal of the characters. But I kept the writer's original notations, Mutant 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. And when I submitted that, I didn't hear anything. So I, now I got it. I know how to work the system. So all of the cameos you saw in the series never had the real name. Like when I, I put the Black Panther in, he was African mutant number three. He was never called the Black Panther. Um, Doctor Strange, you know, mutant mag- magician or the Watchers, like an alien mutant or something like that. <laughs> they all had these weird names, but they were the characters from the books. But on the model sheets, they don't say what they are. And that's how I got them all into the show. That is brilliant. That, that, that is just brilliant. Like, I, I, as I was, when I was little, I always used to love, like, looking through it. Oh, it's Spider-Man. Oh, it's, like you said, Doctor Strange. And now I'm like, oh, okay. So that's, that's how that happened. That's, so you still don't know to this day why they wouldn't just let you use Spider-Man? I think part of it was... The, the production company was actually a com- uh, um, the production company was a company called uh, Saban Entertainment, and Saban sub subbed out the work to a company called Graz Entertainment. That's who I actually worked for, but the workers actually put you know when you see this it, it says Saban. They didn't want to give Saban additional rights to characters they didn't purchase, mm. and I think I'm, I'm making I, I, this is my guess because I don't. They never told me the real reason. So they, you know, I think that's why. Because later on, the X-Men was, a, there were guests in Spider-Man show. But that was after they worked out the contracts for that. But me just putting it, put Spider-Man in, in, a, in just one shot, you know, they went, oh, they, they flipped out on me. I couldn't tell why, but. I think the fact that I included, I did all the other Marvel characters, but never called them by their names. I think, I mean, as silly as it sounds, I think that's why I skated through, <laughs> you know. And also the first season of, like I said, they didn't think we were going to survive. They thought we were going to have 13 episodes. We crash and burn, one and done. And so they ignored us, basically. They didn't think we were going to survive. And it's like, okay. I'm going to do the show my way. If I go, if I'm going to do a crash and burn, let me do it the best way I can. You know, I'll go by my fanboy feelings and, 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 and gut instincts and just make it the best show that I can do. And so that's what I did. And uh, luckily it found an audience out there. Um, up until I think episode 12 out of 13, we had, we knew we had ratings, but we didn't know if anybody liked the show. And it wasn't until the story editor's wife, her name is Julia, she went to she went to uh, 
Saban, for some reason, she was one of the writers, and she asked someone, is, do the kids, you know, does anybody like the show? And she was taken to a hallway, and in the hallway, you know, you have these, when you have too much mail, they put the, they put the mail in these little baskets, mm-hmm. you know. She had these baskets of mail that were, that were stacked against the wall from floor to the ceiling, and then as far back as you could see, and then on the other side of the wall. It was like the it was like the the Indiana Jones scene. It was like she said, "Oh my God, <laughs> they do." And those are filled with postcards and letters from kids, you know, full, you know. And I never read it. I never I never got a chance to see any of that. She told me that's what they had. I don't know what I have to this day. I have no idea what they did with all of it. If they answered it, if they you know what happened. But that was our proof in episode twelve that. uh People like the show, but up until then, we didn't know any, you know, we didn't, we had no idea. There was no internet, no likes, you know, none of that stuff. You weren't trending on Instagram? It's <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>, a hoop. <laughs> <laughs> no, there was no internet back then. So, no, it was all snail mail, as they call it today. That, that's just such a cool story. Like, I, I, I know now, like, you can't it's it's almost impossible to like get in touch with anyone at these animation companies i know when i was when i was little it was like phineas and ferb it was going off the air and i was like writing letters and there was nowhere to send them yeah and, uh, <laughs> yeah so yeah it's, it's yeah it's somehow kids found fox kids and they sent letters off and but since i was working for a small my company like i said i was working for garage entertainment the mail never came to us it always went to fox fox kids so had no idea wow well i mean i guess it's safe to say people still like the show <laughs> yes you know but but for a time um we thought the show people forgotten about the show for a long time because when the show between when the show ended and and um maybe 2014 15 something like that we were pretty much, I, you know, I had no idea if people would like the show, they, that they even remembered the show, because I had moved on to different, working on different shows and stuff, and it wasn't in the news, it wasn't, you know, out there, and the, I think it was the 25th or 30th anniversary, um, myself and the story editors, Eric, Lee Wall, and Julia, we got invited to go to different uh, comic book conventions, and at the time, um, the X-Men was still owned by Fox. And so um, they didn't want to support the X-Men at all because they didn't own the property anymore. So we're kind of like the bastard child running around trying to promote the show and what we worked on, but we couldn't get anything from Marvel at all because they didn't want to do anything to help the show uh, because they didn't own it. And it wasn't until Disney bought everything then suddenly we're like, oh, we're we're not bastard child. Well, they're they're welcoming us into the family, and now suddenly, <laughs> we're we're part of part of it again. And uh, but that whatever year that Disney bought it, that's when everything picked up again. Okay, I guess sort of as a as a segue, I know for a while there were rumors that there might be like a revival on like Disney Plus. Is there has that materialized in any way? We've let ourselves, we let it be known that we're all, hey, look, we're still here. We're not under the ground. You know, we're, <laughs> we really want to pick up where we left off. 
Um, but it's been cricket, so I have no idea what they're doing. You know, it was when I saw the WandaVision thing, I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> they're they're taking the first baby step. And I was like, okay. But, yeah, for we we haven't heard anything. So I haven't any, don't have anything to to uh, report, you know. And since I've been away from Marvel over, you know, for so many years, um, I don't have any real contacts there except for through agents and stuff. So I have nothing to report yet. Ah. Uh. Well, I, I don't know what they're doing, but they need to get on that. That that needs to be like we we need that. I know. I wish. Yeah. See, I wish they would because like we lost the voice actor who did Cyclops, uh, Norm Spencer. You know, passed away, and then the guy who did Magneto passed away. The guy who did um, Cyclops and Juggernaut passed away. All of these, all of these within the last five years. So it's like, you know, hey guys, come on. <laughs> You know, we I'm touring when I do tours with um at conventions, I I tour with um you know, with Lenore Zahn, Rogue, Gambit, um Rogue, Gambit, uh Beast, and uh Sinister. And we're all a group. We all um go to we were going from conventions to conventions as a group until the you know, to the con to, to COVID hit. So that put an end to that, but that's what we were doing, and and we, we were getting a lot of good responses from the fans and stuff. And so, um, yeah, I'd like for them to, hey, hello, call us <laughs> <laughs> at Disney. Come on, <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, it's so in that aspect has been really nice to um, to go on. I want to go back to convention because it was like it was so much fun to do and to meet the fans and to give them backstory about what happened here, what happened there. Um, I did a, for me, you know, cause I did a lot of, um, I won't say rewriting, but reworking the storyboards. I did a lot of reworking the scripts. Um, I don't know if you remember like in the first season, the last episode, there's a scene where it looks like Xavier's going to kamikaze master mode and it, Magneto comes and, protects them with the force shield mm -hmm. well none of that was in a script i made it all up because i knew that they were frenemies and i knew i wanted that that moment of them together and then when they blow up the robot he's in the parachute and they have their dialogue together that wasn't in a script actually that was in a script but that was in act two i moved it to act three so i re kind of like as a director i re i redid that to make it more uh, heartfelt Wow, I I did things like that all the time where I moved stuff around to try and make it into a better film, you know, because they had given me, you know, one thing I will say, the writers there knew, really knew how to write character films. And I knew the X-Men backwards and forwards. So that I, they give me excellent scripts to work from. So all I had to do was plus it and do things like that to make right. it even better. Um, there's one with the uh, Rogue's Tale at the end, it would it could have been tragic, but I have Rogue touch her head. You see a little sparkle, and then you see like uh, Carol Danvers maybe starting to wake up from her her coma. You know, little thing, little touches here and there that I I would add to try and make it into a better a better show. There's lots more, but I'll just that's the two for right now. Wow, 
I, I never would have guessed that, especially about the Magneto thing, that it just didn't make it into the script. It felt it felt natural, like it was just should have yeah, been. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. I, but that it wasn't there. You know, he he didn't save him from the. Basically, Xavier goes, hits the hits the pilot ejection button and goes up. That's it. That was the original script. So it's like, no, no, no. I need these guys to work together to show that they're frenemies. And um, so I added that to the show to make it, you know, to pull it together. And because um, the first time we introduced the X, uh, sorry, um, Magneto was like episode three or four. And he's pretty much like a standard villain. But I wanted, by doing that, I wanted to add more layers. I think that added more layers as an empathy as to, as to the character. So it wasn't just a regular bad guy. Right. And that, that's not something you usually would see in like a, a Saturday morning cartoon. I guess that's one of the reasons it and I guess to a lesser extent, like the Batman animated series have stood the test of time. They like subverted that genre. Yeah. Really yeah. Yeah, I agree. And uh, so I did what I could um, on the shows and uh, just trying to the, the thing what I the thing um, the thing we had going against us, which actually worked for for me was that um i didn't have a lot of time to like overthink the show right when i had to fix stuff it was more like a, a gut reaction it was like very instinctive how to fix this how to fix that because sometimes i get drawings back or staging back that was not good and so i have to redraw it all and i had a staff of two people that were working for me that i would Pencil it, they ink it. And so we, we worked out that. But there, there's a scene like, I think it's in Phoenix, where Juggernaut punches a gladiator, which is basically Juggernaut versus Superman. <laughs> and that punch wasn't there. You know, it was, it was, it was drawn really badly. And it was, it, it, it was like, that, that punch, it's like, no, kids want to see this. Mm-hmm. So I have him go, I have, you know, Colossus go up and punch and it's like Superman, he doesn't move him. And that's what, you know, that's what kids, as a fanboy, that's what I wanted to see. And also things like Gladiator, the the X-Men hear sound and then Gladiator lands, that's it. And I'm going, no, 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 you got to build up to this. So you see the, you see the power shots of the fist coming to earth and the dramatic music building as he, as he gets closer and closer then you hear a thunder. Then you hear a thunder. The thunder sound, and then he lands. You know, there are little cinematic things that I did to try and make it better and better. Um, and you know, it's 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 scattered all over the place. But that's the kind of stuff I did to make to make the show work. Or in one case, I had a writer who didn't know Storm, and you know, he says Storm makes a makes a makes makes a, a windstorm. And so he had to go up in the sky and spin. And I saw that in the script, and I just went, I took the pen, I just scratched it out. <laughs> and then I just wrote what she, you know, she goes up in the air, and she, you know, her, the way she does, she creates storm. So I was able to catch a lot of crap early, scratch it out, hand it to the board artist for them to draw. And then when it came back, if they did a good job, hey, great. And I could just move on because of, Every, let's see, every week I was 
um, going through about 350 pages of drawings per show wow. that I had to go through. And hopefully it was, if it was good, it was great. If not, I had to redraw it. And I tried to pick artists that I knew could do a good job because if I have to sit down and redraw a whole show, it puts me behind because it's, it's, it's like, it's like there's always a new one coming behind me. And it's, I tried to always get artists that I knew I could work with and depend on. And if I hit a sequence that was drawn badly, I could, I could, I'd re restage it. But like I said, I didn't have a lot of time to think it through. I had to go with what I thought worked on a gut level, draw it, hand it off to my, my team of people to do the inks and then move on. Um, it was, it was like a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like assembling line. Yeah. Moving like this and like that. So. So do you have a favorite episode that you worked on with X-Men? I have several, but the one that stands out to me is episode, the first season, the last episode. Because for me, that was my last bite of the apple. I had no idea I was ever going to do X-Men again. So I had to put in the kitchen sink, make this the best episode I could. And um, I was like one scene that... I didn't even know I was going to draw, but there's a scene where Wolverine is fighting the Sentinels in, in the dark, and it goes from light to dark to light to dark. I made that up. It wasn't in a script. It was like, I wanted, it, it hit me. It's like, yes, this would be cool. And, and um, there are other scenes in it, like the mess, the, the scene with Xavier and McNeil being saved at the, you know, Magneto helping Xavier at the end. Um, the fights inside the, uh, complex with master mo um now i was just having i was just having fun but that was my one of my i guess my first of my favorites because that was my i thought that was it i thought i didn't have any other shows to work on uh the other ones i like also was going to be like uh a rogue's tale one man's worth um the phoenix sagas dark phoenix sagas all that stuff you know, I did a and I did a lot of redrawing on those things. <laughs> There's so many characters, and luckily, I as a fanboy, I knew it all, so I could keep track of stuff like that. Um, yeah, so I guess Final Decision is my first favorite. Rogue, Rogue's Tale will be the second, and it goes from there. Phoenix, Dark Phoenix, stuff like that. Uh, even be uh, uh, oh crap, what's it called? Um, it's an episode where the beast falls in love. I can't remember what the name is. That's another good one. I should know that. I, yes, I, I should. <laughs> I should. I don't remember what it is. I had you not mentioned it, I could have recalled it. <laughs> <laughs> but the one of the things that the writers liked what I did was after that story, there was another story, like maybe about four or five episodes later, um, and Beast is doing something on the computer. And we had them taped to the taped to the computer screen was a picture of the girlfriend called Carly. So we were making reference to an episode like something four or five episodes away. We brought in like that little touch because that it kind of connected the episode. So it, so it wasn't episodic. It was like, no, all this stuff is connected. And those are like the little breadcrumbs that I would like to add to make the shows uh, um, feel like a, like a, continuous drama 
And again, that's something you didn't see a lot at that point. It was mostly it, it nothing ever like carried over. But now No, no, we and it, that's exactly what I say. You can't do that. That's wrong. Nobody's gonna watch that. Who how are you gonna pick up on it? Oh, that's right. And that's when we came up with the um when they gave us that criticism, that's what when we came up with what had not been done before was previously on X-Men. You know, so we could we did recaps. And up until that point, nobody had done that before. Well, and, well that's, and that's voiced by Cyclops, just so you know. That's Norm Spencer. I did not know that. That is awesome. I um, yeah. uh, thank thank you for that because going back and rewatching, I'm like, this is one of my favorite episodes. Where did where did oh, this is where we came in. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's yeah, and you know when we t- it's funny, but when we told the networks, look, if we do the previously on X Men. It'll save you a couple of dollars because we can do recaps, which might be a, a minute or so. That's a minute that you don't have to pay for. I mean, it's not true, but anyway, we said it, and they went for it. <laughs> you know, and uh, that way we got around their criticism of kids not being how they're going to know what's happening in here. They haven't, you know, that kind of stuff. So that that's that's where that came from. That is that is awesome so do you, I'm, I'm guessing you watch the show um is are your favorite episodes to work on any different from your favorite episodes to watch or like i i don't know that's just kind of how i I, I was thinking of the question it's it, for me when i watch it i can see the i can see all the blemishes <laughs> you know because we we didn't have a budget for fixing everything. So sometimes when I see it, I can, sometimes I can see the broad picture of the entertainment, but as a director, as an animator, I can see the, the blemishes of like, you know, like a color pop or the eye movement or the wrong color for frames. And I can see all the blemishes. Um, so it's, I try not to do that, but um, I try and look at the overall picture of, of the, uh, of the of the episode and by if i if i just let that wash over me it's yeah i still enjoy my my shows yeah i can see how it'd be hard to watch it especially since you were the director you know what it was supposed to look like and how it's messed up in these little areas it could be hard to avoid those yeah my buddy um uh, bruce tim i mean he worked at warner brothers and they had like twice the budget we had so if he if if bruce caught a mistake they sent it back and they fixed it because they had the they had the bucks behind them, and they they would air, I guess, with ninety nine percent of all the retakes in because they they fix stuff. They would do it. We didn't we didn't have that luxury. We didn't have that kind of high budget. And uh, yeah, so I'm sorry. I'm just I'm just kind of blown away by my buddy Bruce Tim. Um, that, that <laughs> just as a as a fanboy oh. myself, I'm very like whoa. <laughs> yeah, we all started at Filmation together. Yeah. I was working at Filmation as a storyboard artist, and he was uh, he was doing props on on uh, Lone Ranger with uh, Ru- uh, Russ Heath. They were both working on Lone Ranger. Wow! I was working on uh, um, Flash Gordon at the time. Wow, that, that's it, it's just crazy to me. Like that, so much talent came out of that one studio, that that room. Just yeah, it was a lot of us. And, and oh, when I did the He-Man comic books, mm-hmm. 
Um, he was my anchor. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. wow. Yeah. It, was a, it was a small world. It was a small world out here. I guess, I, I guess, it, I just, I don't know. I'm just used to seeing like your name and his name and all, all of these names. And I'm like, wow, all these people know each other? What? <laughs> it's it's yeah. crazy. Yeah, yeah the, uh, Dave Stevens is working with us too on uh, at Filmation too. Paul Grant's having our huge fanboy moment over there. <laughs> uh, do you have a favorite character from the show? I, I've asked people have asked me that question. I guess the way I could answer it is that when I do sketches at conventions, Wolverine's the easiest to draw. Mm-hmm. Um, and and second one would be. Um, uh, rogue um and, and to me the 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 two pivotal characters for the series is it's going to be cyclops and gene uh they're like the heart that keeps all these you know characters together in, in an episode um i don't have a favorite i guess but i i guess it would, might be cyclops only because he's he's been there since the beginning since x-men number one issue number one mm-hmm. um but yeah, you know, I, I guess I don't have a favorite other, but I do pr- enjoy draw, drawing Wolverine because it's like always looks like he's constipated, you know, like that. So, <laughs> so yeah, that's it. That's I was going to show you this picture um, about oh three years ago, maybe now. We find myself and the story editors. We finally met Chris Claremont. And we had no idea if he was, if he was going to come and attack us or whatever, but he liked what we did. We had a very nice meeting together. And uh, let me get this real quick. I made a copy. Of, I made a picture of it. Let's see if I can show it to you guys. But it's, let's see if I can get the glare out. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wow. So that's me, Chris, uh, Julia Leewall, and Eric Leewall. Awesome. We we met at a convention, and we got a chance to talk and do a whole bunch of uh, reminiscing about stuff and and everything. A meeting of legends, it sounds like. Yeah, it was kind of fun to see for us to be there for that, and um, you know, so got a chance to meet the guy who created it all. That that is that that is just awesome. I wow. I, I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm just having like a, a minor fanboy stroke over here. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Let's see. Um, I'm trying to think of some other stuff I did. Um, in Spider-Man is Amazing Friends, um, there was an episode called Swarm where they where the they fought this guy made out of bees. I don't know yeah. if you remember that. I do I wrote, remember that one. I, I wrote I, that one. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's one of my, that was one of my favorite so my my story with Spider-Man and his amazing friends, I was I was looking for a Spider-Man cartoon and it was on Netflix at the time. And I'm like, Spider-Man. And so I remember watching that one distinctly. I, I loved I, I loved that show because it was my introduction to Iceman and Firestorm. And so that was, right. my, I, I just was blown away. And so knowing you worked on that, I'm like, whoa, this is, this is, meet your heroes. Just, just meet <laughs> your heroes. That's what I'm, yeah. what I'm learning here. Well, one of the heroes I met was um, Stan, Stan brought uh, John Buscema out to the West Coast because they were filming video for How to Draw Mo- Comics the Marvel Way. 
So he was there for about a week. My friends took him out. To, we took him out to dinner, the three fanboys, me, Will, and Rick, took him out to dinner a couple of times and stuff. And uh, that was like our fanboy moment to meet John B. Summer in front of us and talking to him like a regular person and stuff. That was, you know, that was our geek moment. <laughs> I still think it's crazy how you're just casual, like, oh, yeah, Stan. <laughs> and just how <laughs> casually you're dropping Stan Lee. <laughs> I, yeah, I in the beginning I could hardly I was kind of scared to talk to him, but after you know I was there for like ten years working with him, so after a while you know it became normal to talk to him and stuff because he was two doors around. Um, him and I would go out um, trying to like one. I went with him on some uh, interviews, not interviews, but yeah, I guess interviews to talk to other uh, actors. Because back in the mid '80s, I went with them to. Uh, we were trying to sell Luke Cage as a TV show, live action TV show, and we had had lunch with Carl Weathers at the time because we were trying to get him to be Luke Cage back then. Um, you know, it didn't come together. I think the film he did after that it was called uh, Action Jackson. Was the film he did after that? But you know, we. I go with Stan on different different outings and pitches and st- stuff like that. Uh, so did Will and so did Rick. We all had our shot at helping Stan trying to sell stuff. You know, trying to make Marvel take it from cartoons to live action. It's the you know up until I guess Kevin Feige got in there. It's like um, it wasn't viable until. It was like, I guess it was the wrong time, but we thought we, you know, we were trying to do stuff in the 80s and it was, the timing was wrong. It's like the, uh, when we tried to do um, Pride of the X-Men, the timing was just not there until the 90s. Then every, all the pieces came together. So, you know, I guess it wasn't meant to be until it was meant to be. <laughs> that and, kind and of stuff. Now it's glorious. Like, I mean, tons of movies, tons of TV shows, every, everything. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, I, my, my friends who are, you know, we're fans from back in the sixties. I tell my, tell people my age, it's like, I'm so glad to live long enough to see all of my comic books on the air. I mean, on the movie theaters and, and done right. Because mm-hmm. if you go back to YouTube and you look at superheroes done back in the seventies and sixties, man, that's what, that's what we had to deal with <laughs> as, that's Captain America. That's Spy- That's Hulk. I was like, oh god. That was our. That was our um, entertainment. You know, people who didn't really get the characters, people who didn't really understand it. Um, and I think with the X Men series, we we were the first series to actually try and take it seriously and uh, make it, you know, and do an accurate adaptation from the books to the screen, I mean, to, to television. And one of, the, one of the things, my the way I approached it when I talked to the writers, is like, just take the books and adapt them to the screen. Um, and don't change things because you, some people change things um, because they can and my philosophy is like, no, don't change it unless you have to. Just take what's in the books, put it on the screen. Now, if you have to change something, change it because, you know, it's a comic books are not film. 
And so you have to adapt to the, to the next medium. And so, but if you have to, that's when you make changes, but not because, hey, I'm a director and this is my vision of the show. It's like, no, 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 that's wrong. You, that, that's, you, not, that's not me. You don't take the Zack Snyder approach to, to uh, comic no. book movies? <laughs> oh, no, no. Oh, God, no. <laughs> uh, so, oh, I, I had it and I, I lost it and it's going to come back to me in just a second. Um, oh, I don't know. Grant, do you have any questions while I'm trying to think of it? Because it's going to take me a second. Because I had one and I'm like, this, this makes sense. And then I, I lost yeah. it. Do you have any stories that you've wanted to share, but you've never gotten an opportunity to share them? I, I not a story, but you know, one of the regrets I had for the X-Men was that um, we got a chance to introduce Cyclops to his father, but we never got a, we never got a chance to introduce Cyclops to his brother, Alex. And that's really not a story, but that's like a, that's like a part of a larger story. That's probably the one thing I regret. We never got a chance to round to doing. And I know I've talked to the story editors about this, that if we got another shot to maybe do like one more episode, I think the last episode, it, it ends with Xavier going up with Lalandra because he gets, gets ill. I think I'd like to try and do a story where they need the X-Men to go there for some reason. And at that point, we could probably create a reason why Cyclops and Havoc have got to meet. Which, and then they discover the Starjammer, that's, that's his father too, you know, that kind of stuff, where you have this family reunion and family squabble at the same time. But, you know, get around to uniting those two together. I, I would... I would pay good money to see that. I, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Disney, come on, come on, give give them one more episode. <laughs> I, I I need this. <laughs> that's probably what I would like to try. That's that's one of the things I was thinking about. Was that that two brothers and the father bringing bringing those two things together? Um. Oh, and that's yes. Yeah, I almost forgot the um. When that father son thing was happening, and they had the stuff in the shuttle underground shuttle mm-hmm. none of that was in the script i made it all up too because i wanted a place where they could stand and it's a very emotional shot and i didn't want it to be i didn't want all the distractions but these two going at each other and so i created the monorail system under under um the mansion um for that for that very reason there's another episode called um Okay, you guys got to figure out what the name is, but it's one where, where Wolverine meets Alpha Flight. I don't remember the name. I'm gonna do but, a quick Google. <laughs> <laughs> but what you don't what you don't know is that when I got the script, the script did not have Sun uh, Snowbird in it. She wasn't in the script, and I don't I'm not sure why it wasn't in the script. But he wasn't there. She wasn't there. So I took it upon myself. I drew into the entire episode. And so I actually made her part of the plot in Act Three of the show. Huh? Oh, that's the wife. Um, um, and so that was something where I never found out why, because it was actually written by a comic book writer, um, the guy uh, Lynn Wein. It was written by Lynn Wein, and I'm surprised he didn't put Snowbird in. It might have been, 
my guess they might have had a limit on how many voice actors they wanted to pay for. That would they didn't add her in. But I know if the fans saw it, their first question would be, "Where's Snowbird?" You know, because she's not there. So she's in the show, and if you watch it, she has no dialogue because I couldn't give her, I couldn't go back and re-record anything. But at least I put her into the show so that, you know, the fans wouldn't be disappointed by not seeing her. Wow, well, that's, that's a little backstory most people don't know. That is um. Wow, <laughs> I thank thank you for telling us. That is that's incredible. I again, I just can't believe these things just weren't in the script. Like, <laughs> why? Why? why you? Yeah. So I'm a massive Community fan as well, and so I, when I when I saw your name attached to GI Jeff, I was like, whoa! I, I'm I'm going to get to ask this question. So how did that like come about, and what was working on that like? Um, that was kind of fun. I got called the studio that that did the work that that did worked on it was um oh god i lost the name now i'm uh, i hate this getting old i can't remember the name they called me up and they knew that i had worked on the show the gi joe show so they they brought me in and said we wanted to do this parody show and um we want you to um draw another gi joe introduction intro as if the show never stopped you know production so, um, and you know, they, we, we want to storyboard, I think two acts of the show. And so I said, yeah, that sounds great. So I, they called me in, I did a, I did my own uh, version of like, what would be another GI Joe intro? Yo, Joe, you know, all that stuff. And so, um, that's, you know, that's where it came about. The, uh, the, the only thing with, um, community that, that this project was their schedule is like really, really short. So um, it was even shorter than the X-Men. I had to get the storyboards out to get the animation done because they're, they're mainly a live action studio, not an animation studio. Like to get an episode of one X, one X-Men or even, even Batman, whatever from the, from the script to the show, get on the air, it's nine months to do one episode. And so for me to do this pilot uh, intro, um, and to do the my other myself and other people to do the storyboards inside. I mean, we were working like crazy to get it done because they they couldn't afford nine months. It's like no, they had like a a month, <laughs> and they did all the animation. I think internal to the studio. Uh, Starbucks, no Starbucks, Star Star Starburns, Starburns. That's it, that's Starburns. It. That's who I work for. They're over in uh, uh, Burbank. And that's who did the animation. And they were really nice people that I enjoyed working for them and everything. Um, I think I, after, somewhere further down the line, I think I worked on the show called Harmon Quest, which oh, was yeah. like later. I, I was one of the directors working on that. Wow. But uh, in terms of just community, yeah. Um, I did the opening titles and I think I did Act One of the of the animated stuff yeah oh and also uh uh, russ he's worked on some of the models um because he was the original model designer on the original gi joe syndicated series so they just they brought you guys back to to kind of keep that same feeling i guess they wanted to be accurate to the what they wanted to be accurate to what they were trying to emulate so they brought russ heath in to do models 
They brought me to do the uh, intro and some of the acting, some of the act, animation acts. And uh, yeah, it was really, yeah. They, that was good of them because they, they, they really, we, you know, they really pulled it off as being like from that era, but with community jokes. <laughs> yeah. That, 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 personally, that is my favorite, like one of my top five favorite community episodes. And so just, just kind of hearing the story is very interesting. It's, yeah. Wow. Yeah, Jeff. Yo. <laughs> uh, let's just shoot him. <laughs> <laughs> what i would tell them also is that you know myself as an artist working together we'd have those same kind of jokes just on the wall we make jokes amongst ourselves about you know let's just shoot them or you know you make all these sex jokes and and shoot them jokes and but it was all you know between the staff you know and the stuff that the community did i told them like we did that (laughs) you know those kind of jokes so you, you, I guess you finally got to like put it on the air instead of just. Yeah. So it's just like, you know, I think maybe they thought I might've been offended by some of the jokes that we're doing. It's like, no, nah, don't, don't worry about it. We're artists. You know, it's like, it's like being in high school. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. And then, and then the last thing, I, I guess the last question I had for you, I thought of while you were talking about working or trying to get Carl Weathers to be Luke Cage. Yeah. So did you watch the Luke Cage series that they did on Netflix? or in, did, what did Oh, you- yes. Yes, I watched that. And I, um, I love the actor and I love what they did. I mean, the, my, only, my criticism for the Luke Cage series is that, I don't, what was it, eight episodes? I think so. I think, it in, I think it could have done it in six because sometimes it just stuff just stretched out but I love the actor who they've got to portray Luke Cage he's got the great bearing and the voice is like perfect for that right um but I just sometimes I think Netflix things are too many episodes like mush them together and you get a tighter pacing st- pace story you know mm-hmm that's one of the things they're doing with Disney Plus now. So it, it's the, everything is feeling right. I, I was just curious because I'm like, well, we, we got that. I was just wondering what you what your thoughts were on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, Grant, do you have anything else? Or Yeah, the last question I have is, uh, other than X-Men, what was your favorite show or shows to work on? Oh, okay. Uh, the other favorite show to work on for me was when I was – the director on the real adventures of Johnny quest, because pretty much on that uh, series, they gave me the same freedom I had on uh, X-Men on Johnny quest. And so uh, pretty much the myself and my partner co-director was Davis Doy. The writers would come to us and they get, they would, instead of going to the networks, they would come to us and say, here's the premises we wanted to try and do. And Davis and I know in production um, would say, that's a good idea, you know, run with this. No, how about changing this and stuff? And we got a chance to to create, have them create shows that we knew were production friendly. I'll put it that way. Um, you know, shows where someone goes around the world, um, you got to draw Paris, you got to draw London, you got to draw LA, you got to draw amusement parks, you got to draw blah. 
And it's, it's when you get those kind of shows, unless you have a budget for it, you're, you're going to, you know, it's, it, it just slows everything down. So we were able to like help the writers do something that we knew we could produce. And we also were like the filter for what, what we thought was going to be a good episode. So I would say uh, the real adventures of Johnny Quest, and it actually would be season two because season one was done by another crew, which they got kicked off of. So myself and Davis were brought on as a set uh, to do the second season, and uh, and so we got a chance to to do the kind of show we liked because we were both fans of Doug Wildey's original version back in the '60s, and so we tried to take his original version, age the kids up just a little. And that's, and then, okay, let's say, and just say that, go here, Doug, Doug Wiley's version ends here. Our version picks up a little bit later, but we tried to keep the same character dynamics and adventure qualities that we remember growing up with it. So that would be my second favorite. Um, yeah. I could have been because I worked on. Yeah, I directed. Let's see, X Men. Let's see, X Men, Johnny Quest, uh, the Karate Kid, Kid and Play, um, Captain Planet. Um, I know I'm forgetting somebody in there. Oh, Fantastic Four, second. Oh. Um, probably somebody else I'm forgetting, but it, yeah. I got a chance with the Fantastic Four to actually go back to all the original stories. So the the first 13 was done by someone else. The second 13 was done by me. And that's, oh, that's the one where I did the, I did the very first um, Black Panther full episode was there. Was that's in the right. second season of Fantastic Four. I did that. Wow. I did a five-part miniseries on introducing the Inhumans. And we did the original ones like Kirby and Lee made up back, way back when. We did their, the, you know, Doomsday where Dr. Doom steals the surface powers. Uh, Galactus taken on Ego. We introduced Thor and we did introducing uh, Ghost Rider. And um, I even throw, I, when, oh, this is something you got to look for, but I threw a lot of Easter eggs in, into that Fantastic Four show. You'll see, uh, I think the fantastic car goes by the Empire State Building and all the X-Men characters are there, but they're in a civilian outfits. Huh. Or you, yeah. Or you, awesome. There's a scene of um, where they're flying and you see this, you see Juggernaut's hand come up and grab part of the bridge. And that corresponds to an X-Men episode where the Juggernaut is crawling out of the bridge like this. So I, I threw that in there, along with, um, yeah, I, you know, I threw in a little Easter eggs like that. So, so you really made like the first Marvel Cinematic Universe. That was yeah. <laughs> Someone pointed that out to me, but yeah, that's yeah. I did the first connected wow. universe um, on my own because nobody t- told me I couldn't do it. <laughs> wow. So and. Sounds like you had cameos from everyone, but Howard the Duck. Right. Yeah, well, we had, we did have that in, in X X Men. I think we had a Howard the Duck on the on the shirt of the Beast. Have I missed? <laughs> I'm gonna have to go find that because I I'm a huge Howard the Duck fan. Come on, Grant. 
I don't know if you can see it. It's right there is my one of my Funkos. Oh. I've I've really I've recently just started loving the character, and so I, I'm going to go find that now. Thank you for thank you for telling me. It's a Phoenix part. I think it's the second one where you see Beast comes out in a shirt, and it's Howard the Duck on the front. So we. I, we got him in there. <laughs> I, I'm going to go watch it now. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So you have everyone and Howard the Duck. Howard <laughs> the Duck, yeah. Got it in there. Got yep. it in there. Yeah, that was fun. Wow. Well, um, thank you so much for, for coming on and, and taking the time to be with us today. This, is, this has been a blast. I'm glad you invited me. I'm, I'm really glad to be able to talk to the fans of the show and let them know how it was and you know the backstories like what the stuff that we're talking about and let them know what what happened and uh how much i enjoyed the characters and how much i'm glad people enjoyed the characters and that um i'm glad i was a part of the you know if i helped their childhood in any way i'm i feel you know glad that it did because uh i just want to pay it forward you know that kind of stuff well, uh, speaking from experience, you did very much help my childhood, and, and thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, if you just want to tell the people where they can find you, we can... On Instagram, I'm uh, LarryToons54. LarryToons, plural, 54. I'm on, that's on Instagram. All right. Uh, the website is uh, Larry-Houston.com. And um, if you go on Twitter, I, I just call myself X Men Director. <laughs> Very uncreative, I know, but I just I can figure out any kind of funny name or what. I said, okay, X Men Director. I'll just do that. <laughs> but you can follow me there. Um, my, my son's going to be fixing my website, so when you see it, it's going to be kind of boring. But that's what I got. And um, yeah, those are the three places I think if you want to reach me. Um, there's a on the website there's a place that says contact so you, it's sent you know if someone wants to send me a, a letter a letter letter let an email there's a place where you can send it to me now i try and answer all the messages that i receive well awesome and again thank you so much for taking the time and talking to us today it was it's like i said it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on and you're welcome back if if you ever get an excuse or want to come back on <laughs> Disney picks up the show for another season or two. Let let us know. We or then we'd love to have you back. Okay, I'd love to. You know, music, you know your words to their ears. You know, it's like <laughs> I love it. But yeah, I'll, I I can be back. I love talking, and uh, thank you for the opportunity. It's been a real pleasure talking to, to Grant and Grant. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I hope to see you guys soon in another interview. Absolutely. Um. I'll I'll contact you at some point. We can we can try to set that up. Thank you so much.